Ah, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamped. Add year to year, let the feasts run their round. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be moaning and lamentation. And she shall be to me like an Ariel. And I will encamp against you all around, and will besiege you with towers, and I will raise siege works against you. And you will be brought low from the earth, you shall speak, and from the dust your speech will be bowed down. Your voice shall come from the ground like the voice of a ghost, and from the dust your speech shall whisper. But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. And in an instant, suddenly you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire. In the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, all that fight against her and her stronghold and distress her shall be like a dream, a vision of the night. As when a hungry man dreams and behold, he is eating and awakes with his hunger not satisfied. Or as when a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking, and awakes faint with his thirst not quenched, so shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Astonish yourselves, and be astonished. Blind yourselves, and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep. And has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed when men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. And the Lord said, because his people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their, their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord, your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who says, who sees us, who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter regard, be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me? Or the thing formed say of him who, is, who formed it, he has no understanding? Is it not yet a little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease. And all who watch to do evil shall be cut off, who by a word make a man out to be an offender, and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate, and with an empty plea turn aside him who is in the right. Therefore, thus says the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall no more be ashamed. No more shall his face grow pale. 
For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding. And those who murmur will accept instruction. The word of the Lord. Just joining us, we're going through the book of Isaiah, one of the major prophets. It's called a major prophet because it is a large book, one of the largest prophetic books, the largest prophetic book. It's 66 chapters. And it can feel, in reading this, chapter 29, language can feel confusing, sometimes repetitive. Sometimes we can get lost in it. And especially the first 40 chapters, it can seem very repetitive. God's judgment, then hope, then over and over again, judgment and hope, judgment and hope. The cycle continues and continues. But I think one of the major messages through all of Isaiah is the people don't see. And Isaiah is trying to get them to see. Truthfully, that's a large message of all the Bible People that are blind and cannot see. I encourage you, if you read the Gospels and read what Jesus says, he deals a lot with that. People that are blind and getting them to be able to see who he is and what he has come to do. But here we see in Isaiah this, the chapters before us, the last 13 chapters, was showing God's purpose and plan for the nations. Both for the nations currently, for the near future of the nations, and to the end of time. That God has a purpose and he has a plan. The thing is, many times, just because God has a plan, we might not think he has power. Instead, he's just kind of the person that winds up the earth like a toy and just lets it go. He knows how it's going to turn out, but he doesn't really intercede or work. And that might be a concern for the people. Oh, sure, God, you know the plan. There's hope. There's things going to happen. But do you actually intercede? Do you work? Do you help us in the midst of trials and tribulations? Chapters 27 through 35, we're going to study over the next two, three weeks, is that it shows not God's just divine purpose for Israel and for humanity, but also his divine power. He just doesn't wind up humanity and let it go, but he acts in the world, directing the nations and individuals by his power. Let's find out, shall we? What happens, what God is doing. A lot's changed since we, just, we read from last week. King Ahaz, who rules over the southern part of Israel called Judah, the two tribes, He's died and he's gone. He was known as a wicked king. And now his son is coming in and we're deciding, is he going to be good? His name is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah has inherited a mess. A mess with the sin of the people of Judah and also a mess from a geopolitical situation. It has gotten bad. Assyria, this power in the north, has risen to just more and more power. They've actually obliterated Israel, the northern ten tribes. And in fact, he'd taken the northern tribes and brought them into exile and dispersed them. Some of the tribes will be no longer. 
And now their eyes are set on the south, Judah. And so the people are scared. They say, we need an alliance. We need someone to help us. And the leaders say, it just makes common sense. Let's go to Egypt. Egypt will help us. We'll make an alliance with them. And here is what is perplexing. A people that have been delivered by the Lord, that have been given the land by the Lord, that has given them promises and covenants and shown them so much through their history, they fail to go to the Lord when they're in need. Instead, they go to Egypt. But now in chapter 29, we will see Isaiah give an oracle, a prophecy of what God will do against Assyria and what will happen to Jerusalem and Judah and how God will deliver. Well, verse 1, it sets the sage just with the first word. Ah, which is really, woe, or you're in trouble, Jerusalem. Woe, Ariel, Ario, the city where David encamped, meaning Jerusalem, where David had his throne. And here, this word Ariel, it means, one of the meanings is lion. Oh, woe to you, lion, powerful lion, city of David. City that does what? That adds year to year. Let the feasts run their round. City that just, just keeps on going. They continue their feasts and their festivals, but they don't even realize that trouble is coming. Year after year, they just do the same thing. And then what happens? Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be moaning and lamentation, and she shall be to me like an Ariel. And I will encamp against you all around, and will besiege you with towers, and I will raise siege works against you, and you will be brought low. Now, the question is, what is this talking about? What is happening? Well, Isaiah is prophesying something that's going to happen to Jerusalem in just a few years. Assyria is going to surround the walls of Jerusalem, this vast army, and bring a siege against the city. And they are going to be in great distress. But here is what is interesting. As much as I believe that this is describing what is going to happen to Jerusalem, it doesn't mention Assyria at all. It doesn't say that Assyria is going to do this. Instead, it uses this idea of I. I will distress. I will encamp. I will raise. Who is this actor? Who is this I? It is the Lord God. God is saying, I will use Assyria as an instrument to judge you, Jerusalem. I will use this mighty nation and I will bring siege against you, Jerusalem, so you will wake up. So you will see that you are in trouble. So the festivals will not just continue round and round. That you say something needs to change. Well, 
why, this is surprising, first of all, why God, the enemy of his people? Well, we realize throughout the Old Testament, throughout this whole book, we see that God uses nations to judge his people. God is not discriminatory. Just because you have the label of people of Judah or Israel, it does not give an excuse for God to bring judgment against you. If you sin, you're in trouble. God does not play favorites. But the truth is, the more surprising thing that God uses other nations to judge his own people, the more surprising thing is this, is that Judah removes themselves from the protection of God. That they do not see him anymore. That they do not see his power upon them. And here we see, let's look back again. It says, and she shall be to me like an Ariel. Ariel has a meaning just not just lion. It also means a table, an altar hearth where you have a sacrifice. And here what God is saying is you were a lion, but now you are the sacrificial table like you have given me right now. A sacrifice that means nothing, that does nothing. This is what you have become. And then in verse 4 it says, And you will be brought low from the earth you shall speak. And from the dust your speech will be bowed down. Your voice shall come from the ground like the voice of a ghost. And from the dust your speech shall whisper. Earlier on in chapter 28, Israel said about God's word, It is nothing but a nursery rhyme. It is elementary. And now God reverses it. Your words are nothing but dust. They have come from the grave. Now you are being brought low. Do you think God can actually use enemies, adversaries in our life to point out ways that we need to change? That God actually is sovereign over all people and even our boss that we don't like or a neighbor that we can't stand or that uncle that we have to deal with at Christmas or Thanksgiving? That God actually is sovereign over them and is using them maybe in our own lives? I think many times when our supposed enemies do things to us, our first reaction is to scream, justice, justice, how do, how Dare they do wrong against me? But maybe we need to see through the injustice we see to see maybe there's disobedience that needs to be pointed out to us and cut out. That sometimes God uses adversaries and people we do not like and situations in our life to cut out things in us. The neighbor that points out we need to change something in our house. The teacher that continues to correct us. The colleague that just gets under our nerves when he talks about politics. Maybe there is something that God is trying to get to us through those people. And instead of just blaming someone else, 
we need to see what God is getting at in our own lives. Well, the surprises don't end in this chapter. One that God uses enemies to judge Judah. And then the surprise comes in this quick switch. Verse 5. But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. And in an instant, suddenly you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire. Here now, Isaiah is prophesying again something that will happen in 701 BC. Assyria surrounds Jerusalem and the walls. And then something strikes this mighty army. We'll read more about it in Isaiah chapter 37. But the army is struck and they're forced to flee Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is saved. In fact, Sennacherib, the ruler of Assyria, who is also there against the siege of Jerusalem, has to leave. And when he goes back to the capital, his sons kill him. In Assyria, this mighty nation, from there, that's the height of their power after Sennacherib is killed. And then another nation, Babylon, rises to power. See, what God is saying is that like an instant, the world can change. Assyria was sure like a dream. They said, oh, it is going to happen. I'm sure it's happening. Just like we're in dreams, we think it's so real. But only when we awake do we realize it was nothing. In the same way, they think it's real. We are going to win. We are going to conquer. We are going to take Jerusalem. Little do they know that it's just a dream and they will awake and they will be defeated. God in one instance, has swept down and delivered Judah, has delivered Jerusalem and saved them. Chapter 28, the chapter before, it talks about this God. It says, For the Lord will rise up as us on Mount Perizim in the valley of Gibeon. He will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed. And to work his work, alien is his work. God shocks us. God does strange things. Have you been shocked by God? I will argue this. If you say you are a follower of Christ, you should be shocked by him. Why do I say that? Because if we form God in our own image, he's not God. But if he is truly God, he does surprising things in our lives. Things that we did not think would happen. See, that's what makes him God and us not. He sees things that we don't. He might shock us in how disobedient we are. And how our sin is just deep and indestructive. And it sometimes it can overwhelm us. That can shock us. And at the same time, he can shock us and how forgiving and loving he is. And how it's greater than we could ever imagined and thought. 
Does God shock you? I would argue if God is just in your own image, he won't. But if God is God, he will. I was eating dinner with some friends this week. And he was talking about his job he had for seven years in Atlanta. And he was noting how he was consumed by his work. It was everything. He was constantly on the phone, making deals, getting money. He was living the life. He thought everything revolved around that. Until it didn't. (laughs) And he was noting, his friend is not a Christian. He said, bosses come and go. Situations change. And you think in the midst of it, it is everything. I thought for seven years, this was all that life was. But no one has given me a call about, oh, you did a great job those seven years. Oh, we miss you. Oh, you did awesome. No. The company keeps on going. Bosses come and go. The Lord does surprising things, doesn't he? He finds Tubby. (laughs) He brings a wrestler. He gives you a new boss. A new day the Lord gives and he delivers. Is it strange that he uses the enemy? To bring judgment upon his people? Yeah, that's strange. Is it strange in just an innocent, in in just a minute, he can deliver us? That's strange. But that's not the strangest thing. This passage just gets weirder. Look with me. Verse 9. Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. Then go down to verse 11. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. You see, the strangeness is, Judah's been judged and delivered, but they still don't see it was God. They still don't change. They still are not transformed. Who knows? They could have said, well, you know, the reason that uh, Assyria left us is because, you know, we had an allegiance with Egypt. You know, it just played out that way. You know, the reason that we were finally saved is because, you know, we just made some tweaks here and there. There was just this profound thing that happened. That's what what it was. Hear me again. This is the major point. Historical deliverance doesn't guarantee transformation in our lives. Favor and good tidings and deliverance for issues in our lives, it doesn't guarantee we will be transformed and changed. Why is this? Let's look again. 
Verse 13. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. You see, they just continue in their religion, in their sacrifices, in their festivals. They honor me with their prayers or whatever it might be, but their hearts are far from me. We just heard a testimony that said the same thing. I I don't know, maybe you're a fan of Prince William and, and Princess Kate and you watched the wedding and all that stuff. Maybe you did that. And, you know, like billions of people throughout uh, the planet watched the wedding a few years ago. And at the wedding, it's in Westminster Abbey, you know, very historic Christian place. And uh, at the wedding, there was scripture read. There was a sermon. The gospel was preached. And it was interesting, the British press, they commented on this. And they said about the wedding, it felt like we were transported to another world in watching this wedding. That the clergy actually believed what they were saying. Is that world so far apart from us? Where you can hear the word said in some services week in and week out? Where you can hear the gospel read, but you are still blind? Do we believe these stories that are read in Scripture? Do we believe that God came to this earth and died and rose from the dead? That the Holy Spirit lives in us and can change us and transform us? Why do you think we have the name Emmaus Road? A story of two disciples that walked with Jesus but none did not see him. Until he opened the word in the Old Testament and the prophets, maybe even Isaiah. And he taught them, look what the Savior and Messiah has to do. And finally, when he broke bread, what does it say? Their eyes were open and their hearts were ablaze to the risen Lord. Is that your neighbor that says, oh yeah, I'm a member of a church. I know Jesus. Is that your colleague? Is that your sister? Is that your brother? Is that your aunt, your uncle? Is that you? How do I know my heart's changed? How do I know I am transformed? Well, I tell you one way is when you're under siege and you're under stress, you don't go, okay, what I need is deliverance from this situation. See, you know someone that doesn't really have a repentant heart that once they're delivered from their siege, they're done talking to God. Or when God doesn't deliver them, they castigate God. How dare you? No, a repented heart says this. 
When I am under siege, I'm asking not just to be restored from what I've been taken away, but I want to be restored to God. A repentant heart doesn't say, oh, that's not me. Yeah, I did something wrong. That's not me. I can't believe I would do that. I just need some tweaks. No, a changed heart and a repentant heart says, Lord, I am a sinner. Forgive me. You are my only hope. Oh, man, we're so good. Man, we're evangelicals, right? We are so active. Just give me some more classes, some more training. Send me to a conference. You know, I just need to learn more and more and more. The truth is, our hearts might just need to be turned to God, and we need a humbling in our lives, not more training, not more conferences. We need to face God. Verse 16, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me, or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. One thing I love about Luke is he is a potter. And I think about Luke on his potter wheel. He's done making the mug. And the mug turns to him and says, I'm done here. And walks off the throwing wheel and hops off and runs away. That's absurd. That's crazy. It is the same way when we say, oh, I don't need you, God. Yeah, you made me and formed me. I don't need you. I'm, I'm the one that formed myself. Is that you? Well, one way you can tell that might be you or me is that when someone says, you know, you need to change something in your life. Or God says, there needs to be some tweaking. If you react, how dare you? This is who I am. How dare you try to change me? But someone that is truly has a heart that has been changed says, mold me how you will. You made me and you know me. Because you crafted me, do what you will with my life. If I need to change and I need to repent, so be it. This is some strange things. God sends an enemy nation to judge his people. God miraculously delivers his people and gets rid of that nation. Then the people don't even hear what God and see what he is doing. But here is where it gets even Stranger. Verse 17. 
Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field? And the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. Here is the strange thing that God does now. He transforms things. Lebanon, a location that was known for its cedars and many trees, it will no longer be that. It will be a place of fruit. And the places that are places of fruit will now be a forest. The deaf will hear. The blind will see. The meek will have joy. The powerful will be brought low. My people who murmur will be made holy. Jacob will be delivered. These are the strange transformations of God. That God would take his murmuring people, Jacob, Judah, and he would sanctify them and open their eyes and their ears and make them see and hear and turn to his instruction. Come on. God's divine power in this world, in the brokenness I see around me, the brokenness I see in my own life. Oh, God does strange things. That a baby born in a stable would be a king. That accused criminal who died on a cross would be our Messiah. Our God does strange things. Things outside of our power. So that we would be transformed. That is our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see your deliverance day in and day out, but sometimes we don't see it. It is strange. But what is even stranger is that you have come and penetrated our hearts. You have come after us through your son. And you have made people that were dead alive. God, I pray that we would be a repentant people with changed hearts. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.